You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation, it's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Charlie. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and joining me today to have some fun laughing at ourselves, we're going to have a lot of fun at our own expense today is my coach, Charlie. Charlie's been in there. I think it's been about a week and a half or so since you've been on the show. How's life been? It's been all right. You look like you are miserable right now. You look like life has just punched you in the face. Tired. Middle of the week. Long week. I feel that. So you and I, we were lucky enough uh, to get a chance to actually attend both the men's and women's tennis matches over the weekend. Did you stay? They were two epically long matches. I think I looked at my watch at the end of both matches, the women on Saturday, the men on Sunday, and adding both matches up, it was a total of 10 hours and 19 minutes of Georgia tennis over the weekend. Did you stay for all 10 hours and 19 minutes? I stayed for all of the women's match, the men's match. I'm not going to lie, I started to get hungry. Which you have a tendency to do sometimes. So I watched the rest at home. How long did you stay for the men? Like just doubles or? Until no, until like four fifteen, a good three hours. Yeah, started at one. Okay, so you stayed for most of it. Yeah. And and if you guys don't, if you've never been to, this is why we need six indoor courts because it went down to a tie break. Both matches. The third set of the last singles match. Well, it wasn't a tie break in the men's. The the women's it was. It was a third set, a long third set for the men's. But still, the point remains when it comes down to the final match on court six and. you only have four indoor courts. The matches last five hours. They literally were each essentially five hours long. The men actually lasted less. The girls' little bit. match was four hours fifty-two minutes. Yeah, and so the men. I can't do that math that fast in my head. I added the math up on Sunday, but over five hours. We know not to trust your math. Dude. But like, it, it, like if that was if we were playing this outdoors, those matches still would have been long because it goes to the final match. But we're talking maybe three hours. Yeah. Not five. Maybe three, not Which five. Which would have been more pleasant, even as cold as it was, it, it would have been oh, yeah. more pleasant if it was outside because that facility is so cold, there's no heat. I was bundled up. And I had so, beanies on, two yeah. jackets on, hoodies. I mean, I'm bundled freezing. up in there. Yeah. It was freezing cold. I didn't have time to take a shower and put on nice real clothes on Saturday, and I was freezing. Oh, I, I went straight after. I had just I run... And this, I know you're going to kill me for saying this. I had just got done running 17 miles right before the women's match on Saturday. So I'm ambling there. I'm barely able to make it. My knees are killing me. I'm going to walk downstairs. I get there like right as the match is starting and like having to sit there kind of crunched up for five hours when my knees just need to stretch out. And like I try to stand up. Did you ever try to stand up? Uh, I stood up at the beginning behind did they, did, they, did they make you sit down? And they told me to sit yes. down, but then towards the end of the match, well, no nobody one cared. was paying attention. No one people, was socially distanced. People had left and yeah. everyone was over it. Well, college I was students still away good. from everyone, but yeah. I oh, I, I stayed socially distanced, but like college students started getting there and like they're the on top of each match, other. Yes, oh, it got out of control. They were obnoxious as always. Well, Not the players, but... Certain, certain people that come to watch matches sometimes. Yeah. You just think you're better than everybody, don't you? I don't. I just think it's reflects bad on the program. Yeah, I agree. To, to some degree there. To some degree. But it was a lot of fun. A long, long weekend of Georgia tennis, but it was a lot of fun. It was it was great. We'll talk more about that later. I know you guys want to hear some football talk, so we'll get to all that right now, actually. So as for the show today, 
It is time for the annual Glory UGA exercise and masochism as we are going to travel all the way back to the 2020 football preseason and review what we got right and what we got wrong. And there's plenty of things that we got wrong to laugh at ourselves over today. And it's the nature of the beast, guys. When you run a podcast and you talk as much as we do about Georgia sports and really just college athletics in general, you're going to get your fair share of things wrong. It's just part of the deal. It's what happens. No one bats a thousand. So we, our goal is to just try to be right more often than we are wrong. And I think we do like, I don't know, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, but I think all of us collectively here, like we do a pretty good job of not always being right, never always, right? Not even close. We get plenty of things wrong, but like we get a lot of things right too. So we're going to talk about the day. What do we get wrong? What do we get right? And I and I, it's fun to do this show, and I also feel like it's important to hold yourself accountable. I know you're big on that, Charlie, accountability, right? Yes. Absolutely. So when you get something wrong, it's cool. You're going to get things wrong. Just own it. Just own it. If you want to take credit for a prediction when you get it right, because you're going to get some right too, you got to all. You also have to own it when you get some of them wrong, because that's going to happen. So there's going to be some mockery today, some laughing at ourselves, a little bit of back pat, patting here and there, and maybe also some defending of the predictions that might not have exactly panned out, but we're still going to stand by the predictions. I got a couple of those myself. And at the end of the episode, um, it, going back to Georgia tennis, if you're into Georgia tennis, we're also going to recap. An awesome weekend, a long but awesome weekend in Georgia tennis in the Classic City. And look, 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 guys, I know not everyone cares. I get that. That's why we're going to do it at the end of the episode. So if you don't care, if you're not interested in Georgia tennis, I wish you were. It's awesome. You should, you should support our programs because they're great. But if it's not your thing and you're just not into it, no worries. You don't have to listen to it. So you can kind of just stop listening after we talk about our football, which is going to be the vast majority of the episode. But give it a chance. You might learn to get into Georgia tennis a little bit more like Charlie and I have over the years. I will say it sure makes the offseason a lot more fun to have two great programs to follow our basketball team. Hey, one, two in a row. That's awesome. But like, we're not really a contender. I think we might have two actual contenders on our hands again here with both the men's and the women's tennis program. So we'll get to that in, oh, I don't know, about 30 or 40 minutes after we do all of our football stuff today. But first, let's talk about what we got wrong and what we got right with our 2020 football predictions. And we're going to start this off with the final regular season records of each SEC team and kind of compare that to the predictions that Charlie and I made. We did this. I think it was like the week that the season started, right, Charlie? Something like that? Like right before the season started. And for our purposes... What we're going to do is we're going to give ourselves a plus or minus one game margin for error here. So, like, for example, Florida went eight and two. So if we said they're going to go nine and one or we said seven and three, we're going to give ourselves credit for that. A plus or minus one game margin for our purposes here. And if we nail one, like got exactly right, there's a couple that we nailed. We'll also mention that too. But, of course, we'll also laugh at the ones that we got really, really wrong. So, Charlie, I'm going to turn things over to you. Where are we starting? Starting with Florida. We both got this one right within the two-game margin. They went eight and two. We both said they would go seven and three. However, we did not have them as the SEC East champs. Yeah, we were, we both missed that. We both had them second. We had Georgia number one. Uh, I don't want to spoil things. You had Georgia going undefeated. We'll get to that here in a second. But I, like, we weren't totally off base. You're like. We both thought Florida would be good. I will own it and say I did not think Florida would be as good offensively as they ended up being. I felt like they would be pretty good offensively with a returning quarterback. Kyle Pitts is a good weapon, had some good weapons outside, but they had also lost some weapons from the year before. And there were some new guys that are going to be coming. And Kadarius Toney had been on the, in the program for a while, but he had never really broken out, dealt with some injuries. I just wasn't sure if their offense was going to be that good. But their offense blew me away. I have to admit that I was totally wrong about their offense. I did not think their, I thought their offense would be good. I didn't think it would be nearly as good as it was, like record-setting good at times for Florida, which is which was what they were. That's why they ended up going eight and two in the regular season. I think they finished eight and two. It was eight and two, right? They yeah. had a full ten-game schedule. So I did not see their offense being as good as it was. I have said, I, and I know they ended up winning the SEC East. Yeah, you gotta tip your cap to them, and we got that wrong. I will maintain though, if JT Daniels was healthy, then I feel like we could have won that game and won the SEC East. I know that did not happen. That's not how it transpired. Therefore, we did not win. But when you had Stetson Bennett as your quarterback, and then he gets knocked out in the game, you throw Dewan Mathis in the game, and we had all the injuries defensively going to that game against one of the best offenses in the country, that was a recipe for that game to kind of get out of hand, which it 
kind of somewhat did late in the game. And of course, Florida ends up winning the SEC East. I, like I've said many times since that game and since the end of the season, the Georgia team that was healthy with JT Daniels at the end of the year, I think would have beaten Florida. I feel confident saying that. It, it would, have, would have been a close game. I don't think it would have been a blowout, but I think that we could have, and I would have picked us to beat them if that was the case. But Again, that's not how it worked out. So we were slightly wrong on that. We did, we had them second. They ended up winning the East. But we were pretty close when it came to their actual record. All right, the next team in the East, Georgia. We went 7-2. and two. Tyler, you got this one right, calling the dogs to go 9-1. and one. I picked us to go 10-0, and 0, so that was really wrong. That wasn't that wrong. I mean, you were two games off. Like, you were Quarterback close. Quarterback debacle. Most of the season, if we had JT Daniels, I think it could have been 10 0 still, but beat both yeah. Alabama and Florida. Yeah, possible. That's a tough task, tall task. Alabama was really obviously insanely good, but possible. Yeah, I mean, we both were off on Georgia and Florida and the winner of the SEC East basically because of the quarterback situation, right? We just like we all thought that it was going to be like all offseason, we thought it was going to be Jamie Newman, felt confident about that. Then when he goes out, it's like, okay, well. Is it going to be JT Daniels? Is it going to be Dwan Mathis? We didn't really know until like really kind of like the week of the game and of that first game against Arkansas. So it was, I mean, we'd heard some things and you know around the program. We you still didn't know for sure. And then as we get into the season, we find out that JT Daniels was just not close to being healthy, like he needed to be to be the starter. And that's just tough to predict. So I'm I don't want to completely give us a pass there, but it was really tough to predict our whole entire quarterback situation. So that kind of threw us off there. And again, I, I'm, I'm with you. If that situation was settled, if it was Jamie Newman, if it was JT Daniels, basically anyone other than Dewan Mathis or Stetson Bennett, then I think that, yeah, we could have come closer to 9-1 and one or maybe even 10-0 and 0 like you predicted. All right, next up. Oh, next one's kind of ugly. Well, not for them. We yeah, we got to talk about this one. Mizzou. You had Mizzou going 2-8. and eight. I had them going 3-7. and seven. They ended up going 5-5. Five and five. So good for them. Well, see, this is this was an overcorrection from years past, right? Because Missouri is the team that you and I both in past years have always kind of overestimated. In previous years when we do this show, it's like, oh yeah, we picked Missouri to be a lot better than they ended up being. So I I think I even said it on that preview show. It's like, I'm not going to make the same mistake this year. I'm not going to overestimate Missouri. I'm going to like play it down. So I went way too far playing it down. I went two and eight. You had them a little higher at three and seven. And my pick was based on the idea, okay, you have a new coach coming in, a new system. I, you, you're not really settled at quarterback. We thought it might be, it was probably Sean Robinson. He did start the season and he was a disaster. I mean, they lost to Tennessee with Sean Robinson. We all know how bad Tennessee was. If they had not made the move to Connor Basilic, then it might have ended up being two and eight or three and seven, but they made the move to Connor Basilic, who has a really bright future at quarterback for them. I was impressed with what I saw from Eli Drinkwitz in his, in his rookie year as a head coach in the SEC. I think this program is going to be a program I don't say I don't know if, if on the rise is the right way to say it because I don't know how high their ceiling is, but I think this is a program that's going to continue to get better under Eli Drinkwitz. I think they can be an eight to nine win type program once he gets his players in there and once he gets things rolling. I really think they can be that, and they saw, and they showed signs of that this year. So yeah, I, I was wrong here. You were wrong, but this is totally an overcorrection from getting it so wrong with them in years past. We went so far the other direction, but uh, yeah, Missouri good for them. Good solid five and five year, and we'll see what they can do next year. Yeah, hopefully they do even better next year. Hopefully? I mean, we don't, I we, they're, like, they're a divisional rival. Right, but I always like for them. I mean, as long as we beat them. Yeah. Right, okay. All right, this next team we also messed up. Kentucky ended up going yeah. four and six. You had them going seven and three. Yeah, this is my biggest mistake. I had them going six and four. Yeah, I got to own this one. This was the one I was most off on, on any of any team in the SEC. This and I think South Carolina were the two that I was most off on. And I was just too high on Kentucky. I had them going seven and three. I, I leaned heavily on their defense and what they've done in the past there under Stoops. They've just been so good defensively. A lot of guys coming back that was really young that were really young in 2019. But they suffered a lot of injuries defensively. And then Terry Wilson got hurt in the middle of the year. And Terry Wilson just wasn't good. And like I knew, I knew what Terry Wilson was. I was I thought there was a chance that maybe he took a step forward. I thought that he would at least be a more competent passer than Lynn Bowden was in 2019, even though I knew Terry Wilson wasn't great. But I saw what they were able to do offensively with Lynn Bowden in 2019. 
And they did enough to, I think, win seven or eight games in 2019. So I thought when you have a better quarter, a better passer come back into the equation, you just have a lot of returners on defense. That team could make, I don't say a run, but they could have a good season in the SEC East. And I was completely, I was completely off there. Terry Wilson was a disaster. They tried Joey Gatewood. You know, he started the game against us. He was even more of a disaster defensively. They were fine to start the season, but they they suffered a lot of injuries. Quentin Bohan, who I think is a, a stud, he was a stud for them on the defensive line. He was hurt for about half the season, so it was just a, a tough season all around for them. They didn't quite get the 500 bowl. They actually made it to a bowl, but I mean, because everyone could was bowl eligible this year. I think they actually won, they ended up winning that game, right? Yeah, they beat NC State. Yeah, they cost me a little bit of money in that game. I don't know how they beat NC State. Somehow they beat NC State to end the uh, to end the season that bowl game. So I had it wrong, having them seven and three, and then I got it wrong again when I did when I realized they weren't that good, and I bet against them in the bowl game, and somehow they won that game. But yeah, this is the one I got the most wrong for sure. All right, next up Tennessee. We both called this one correctly within the one game margin. Tennessee ended up going three and seven, and we both had Tennessee going four and six. Yeah, I got some pushback on this pick in the preseason. Some people told me I was way too low on them. Obviously, talking about the offensive line, Jimmy Pruitt in year three. And my response was, this, this was my rationale. You're ba- everyone was basing their, their pick on Tennessee on two things. They finished the season really strong at the end of 2019. But I, what I said was, go back and look who they played. They beat nobody with a pulse. Nobody with a pulse. The best thing they beat was Indiana in the bowl game. They shouldn't have won that game. Indiana let them back in, let them off the hook. So yeah, they were riding this this long winning streak, but you had beaten nobody that was worth anything. And the second thing people were basing on was, oh, their offensive line. Oh my God, all these five stars. Caden Mays is now on the team. They're going to be so good. What did I tell you guys? I was on this from the get-go. I'm not right about everything, but this is one I'm going to pat myself on the back a little bit with. The Tennessee offensive line was probably the most overrated unit in all of college football coming into this season. And you're talking about just one positional unit. They had shown nothing to that point other than the fact that they had these guys that were allegedly, I mean, I know they were, five-star recruits on the offensive line. But they simply, since they got into college, were not playing like five-star recruits. I called it out. I told you guys that. And that's one thing that I did get right. We saw that firsthand when we played them in Athens. They were just a, they were a train wreck. They were a disaster. And it was not just that one game. It was all year long. Then Jarrett Guarantano went and did Jarrett Guarantano things. He had moments of lucidity where he was good, like, you know, against us in the first half of that game. And then he reverts back into being Jarrett Guarantano, who turns the ball over and does catastrophically terrible things that destroy his team's chances to win. That's what happened. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I actually overestimated them. They went three and seven. I thought four and six would be their their overall record, but Charlie and I both got close enough there in that one game margin. All right. Next up is South Carolina. South Carolina ended up mm. going two and nine. You had them going five and five, which was obviously incorrect. Um, I they had went two and eight. I think I, I had that wrong because they only played ten games. They didn't play eleven games. Oh, that's my fault. I, yeah, I had the, the. There's also something wrong you did because I had them going three and seven, but you coded it as wrong. So isn't that within one game? Yep, I'm dumb. Yeah, so that changes yep, my overall. Yep, 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 yep. So I'm going to change this to green. And I'm going to change your overall numbers down here. Yep, so now you we'll get to that later. I got you. We'll get but to that yeah. later, yeah. So South Carolina went 2-8, and eight, you said, because mm-hmm. you can't do math. Well, I, I, I got these records off of a website. It said 2 I don't know. I just copied and I literally the, copied and pasted. Is it? But somebody got it wrong. Wherever they, I got it from, I got it wrong. Did they have a bowl game? They didn't have a bowl game. That's what I thought. They, okay. they, they were eligible for them, but they opted out. Okay, so you had them going 5-5 five and five in the preseason. I had them going 3-7. and seven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is an embarrassing one. I was way too high on South Carolina. I don't really have any defense of that. I Honestly, I I liked some of the piece they had coming back. I thought they had some good returners on defense, especially at corner with McQuamo and J.C. Horn. I mean, J.C. Horn is probably going to be a first-round pick. They had some veterans coming back on the defense line, although they dealt with like a significant number of injuries and COVID issues late in the season. A bunch of guys opted out. I think South Carolina could have gone better than 2-8 and eight if they hadn't fired Muschamp. When you fired Muschamp, and then after that, you have a bunch of guys, basically their, their entire starting defense more or less opted out once Muschamp was let go. I think if he stayed around, they had a chance. I mean, let's go back and look at who they lost to down the stretch. They weren't going to beat us, uh, but once Muschamp was fired, could they have beaten Missouri at home? Uh, possibly. There's a chance. Could they have won at Kentucky? Yeah, possibly. There was a chance. And I don't want to say they gave up, but once he was gone, they started playing for the future. They put Luke Doty in at quarterback, and he wasn't ready, but they were basically 
they were done with Colin Hill. They were going to move on and see if they could get some guys ready for the future. So they kind of tanked towards the end. I'm not saying they, they were a five and five caliber team, but I think all in all, they were probably better than two and eight if Muschamp doesn't get fired and he sticks around. They wait till the end of the season to fire him and those guys don't all opt out. I think they could have gone better. I think they could have won more than two games. I think they could have won three or four. Probably would have gotten to five wins. But I think the fact that they only won two games was was really about the circumstances around Muschamp's firing, the COVID, and all those guys opting. I think they had a better roster than that. So I will ever so slightly defend that pick there, but five and five was way too aggressive for South Carolina. All right, and the last place team in the SEC East is Vandy. You had them going 0-10. I Nailed it. I had them it. going 1-9, and, and they ended up going 0-8. 0-8. They win a game. And screw, like, are we still mad at Vandy for what they did in not playing us at the end of the, at the, end of the year? Do we blame them for that? I mean, they yes. cost Our guys had to practice. We'll know, they had to practice but... two full weeks for them to prepare for them, and then found out at the end of each week that they – yeah, we'll never know, I guess. But I found out, found out the my problem is they find out the very end of the week. All right, and then they but can't they play. Were still probably happy they got to practice. Would you like to practice if you can't play? Have well, you I mean, ever had a minute football doing, practice? I mean, it's fun. Than doing nothing to a college student. Yeah. Hmm. You don't think they want to be in their dorms playing video games? I mean, yeah, that's true. I mean, I know that you're like going stir crazy in your house with the whole COVID stuff, but I think those guys. I mean, look. I'll say this, when I practice, I love playing football, but I didn't always love practice when I was playing it. Now that I can't, I don't play football, I can't play football anymore because I'm an old man whose body's falling apart, I miss it dearly and I will give anything for just like one more day of practice. Just one more day of practice. Don't you have like a semester left of eligibility? I think tryouts are next week. Should I do it? I mean. Is there any room for a 5'10", 180-pound ball guy? To be on the team? Do you think I can make the team? He's slow. I hey, I am so much faster than I was in high school. It's not you even funny. Probably are so much faster. I could probably bust out like a four. You gonna do a four six four? No, four Here, seven. We'll go outside four and seven. Time it. I'll go measure it on the street. Well, in my old age, I've become a runner, yeah. like a distance runner. Yes, but you I should have done that when you were younger. Well, then I wouldn't be playing football. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I don't even know where we were. Vandy. Vandy. Oh, yeah. Vandy was terrible. We're not even, like, I got this right because I knew Vandy was terrible. Like, who are they? And in all SEC schedule, who are they going to beat? Who are they going to beat? They're not going to beat anybody. Who did you even have them be? I'm going to pull up your. We still have the old helmet schedules here. Charlie, you had Vanderbilt beating. You had Vanderbilt beating Ole Miss. Had them beating Ole Miss. You not a believer in Old Kiffin Boy. Hey, you never know. Huh, interesting. All right. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Ready for the next one? Let's go. All right. And so we're going to the West now? Yeah, national champion, winner of the SEC West, all of those other things they've accomplished. Alabama went 10 Team of the Century. In the SEC, you had them going 10-0. I had them going 9-1, losing to Georgia, which obviously did not happen. Yes, for the listeners, he is patting himself on the back. I'm not sure why I'm patting myself on the back. I'm sure like 99.7% of Americans have this. Let's just remember how you felt when we lost to Alabama. And that'll take it down a notch. I mean, I wasn't happy, but I, I wasn't like dejected. I felt like, hey, we go beat Florida and we were, we're, we're fine. It was yeah. kind of like... It's- how did you feel when we didn't beat Florida? Now we'll take it down a notch. Can, can I just... How do I even describe that? Um, I felt empty. You felt empty. Do you still feel empty? Now I'm hopeful for next season. I'm in that mode. Oh. I'm in that, that stage. Before the dark I'm depression in, I, I think of I'm, nothingness? Well, I'm, oh, yes. Are you still in my phrases? Yes. When does the dark depression of nothingness start? I mean, when does it start? April? May. Oh, the 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 off season. Yeah. Okay, so I'm in a call. I, yeah, I love college basketball. I'm way into college basketball, so that keeps me occupied. Uh, signing dates right here. Then we got spring practice coming up. 
Well, then we've got, I, I mean, talking about college tennis, I love college tennis. College tennis carries me basically through May. So it's really once we get into, like once college basketball is over and I don't have college basketball to watch on my Saturdays, then it kind of starts, but I still have college tennis to go like, go to and watch some of those matches. After May, like when we get into summer months, I'm miserable. Like, especially June. June is the worst month for me. I, I, got, I have to like leave the country. I have, to, I have to leave the state. I have to go on vacation and get my mind, to get my mind off of it. July's, it's a little bit better as we get towards the end of July because like, hey, we're almost, we're getting to August and August is like the countdown. We get, get to fall camp. But yeah, the, like the end of May and June are terrible for me. I can't stand them. But right now I'm okay. Okay. I'm hopeful. Anything you want to say about Um, Alabama? They're... Alabama? I mean, it's it's disgusting how good they are. Um, I can't really get... I was patting myself in the back, right? But I don't deserve to pat myself in the back because like 99.7% of Americans... 99.7% 99.7% of Americans probably had them going 10-0 and, and winning like the whole whole thing, the national title, except for you. You had them going like 9-1. Who'd you have them? Oh, you had them losing to us. That's right. So I can't, I can't, I can't give you too much grief for that. Listen much? I mean, I try. I just said it like I try, two I, minutes ago. I was sitting there thinking like, how did she possibly pick somebody to beat Alabama? And I was like, oh yeah, she picked us to beat Alabama. So yeah, I mean, I told you guys I thought Mac Jones was going to be the best quarterback in the SEC this year. Um... And I took some heat for I didn't take a lot of heat, but some people were like, dude, are you, are you serious about that? But yeah, I thought Matt Jones was going to be the best quarterback in the SEC this year. Him, I actually thought, well, him or KJ Costello. Way wrong, KJ Costello. Uh, I said KJ Costello because his track record coming into the year was better than anything that any quarterback in the league had done to that point, what he had done at Stanford. But I thought Matt Jones and KJ Costello would be the two best quarterbacks. And you look at the receivers he had around him, you got the whole Nick Saban effect, the whole nine yards. And yeah, they were going to go 10 and 0. And uh, I wish that we, we would have beaten them. I had, I had us losing that game. Um, so I guess that's one thing I did get right. But yeah, I got this one right, but so did most everyone else on earth. All right. Well, the Aggies came in second place in the SEC West going 8-1. and one. We both got this one correct, and they we had them going 8-2. and two, mm-hmm. So they missed a game because mm-hmm. of COVID. But which game did they miss? Was it... Um, who do they not play? It was like they, Ole Miss or they, Miss. No, Ole Miss. They didn't play Ole Miss. Yeah. They didn't play Ole Miss. I think Ole Miss could have beaten them, but. Yeah. Well. All right. I, Charlie, I want you to look at something here real quick. Okay. So this is my, I know the listeners can't see this. This is my helmet schedule. So for Texas A&M, I have eight and two, but what what does it say under the eight? Can you make that out? What does it say? Nine. Nine and one. I had nine and one originally, and then I changed at the very last second and put an eight and two over that. You see over here, Charlie, the last game of the year, I had them losing at Auburn. Mm-hmm. They did not lose at Auburn. No. They won that game. Okay. So I initially had that as a W. You can see it's crossed out there. So I really, totally, let's be real, I nailed this. I nailed this. Is this like the episode for bragging? <laughs> no. That's part of the show. Like, I, kill me if I get it wrong. I guess some of them wrong. But like, hey, I got some right too. I didn't nail it. I, I talked myself out of them going 9 I looked at the schedule. I was like, they can't go 9 They can't go nine and one No, A&M can't go 9-1. and one. And yeah, they, they, I mean, they went 8-1. and one, But they should have gone. They would have gone 9-1 and one probably. But I had them going 8-2, and two, which I guess is in the margin for error. So it's close enough. Um, and really for A&M, I just... It wasn't so much about AM in the preseason. It was more so I didn't believe in other teams in the SEC West. I thought Alabama was going to be really good, and I had AM losing to Alabama. I wasn't as high on Auburn as a lot of people. I was not as high on LSU as, as everyone else. And obviously, Mississippi State and, and Ole Miss, like, they weren't going to do anything. In Arkansas, I mean, I mean, I guess they were better this year. But it was like, okay, I think that both LSU and Auburn are way overrated coming into the year. I think they were both in the top 10, and they were both way overrated. I thought A&M could beat both those teams potentially. So I kind of just hedged my bets and said, okay, yeah, they'll beat LSU, but they're going to lose at Auburn. So I had them going 8-2. and two. But yeah, I think their schedule set up nicely for them outside of that game at, in Tuscaloosa. And uh, yeah, 8-2. and two. We weren't too far off on that. All right. We also nailed the next one. Auburn ended up going six and four, which is exactly what we both had. Yeah, we both. I'm gonna pat, pat you on the back, Charlie. I don't need you to pat me on Forgive the back. Forgive me for touching you. I know that's off limits. Yeah. Sorry. Six feet, please. Sorry. Six and four. Yeah. Auburn. I mean, what's there to say about Auburn? I I I to- say the new head coach's name. Brian Harson. Harson. I'm thinking of a different coach. Huh? Wasn't there a Another coach, and I couldn't, I can't remember. There's lots name. of other coaches. I know, that's the thing. So many other coaches. Hugh, Hugh Freeze? No, I don't know. I'll think of it later. All right, let me know. But Just yeah, randomly so shout Bell's out. Yeah, Gus gone. Six and well, four, yeah. not good enough this well, year. Well, that's what I kept saying was like, what What do we, why do we expect Auburn to be like nine and one? Like, 
I guess they've had like one or two good years under Gus Malzahn, but this is who Auburn was under Gus Malzahn. They were perfectly average, and they would usually lose a game or two they shouldn't they shouldn't lose, and they would might end up winning a game late against Alabama or Georgia they shouldn't win, and it saves Gus Malzahn's job. And this year it wasn't enough. And so I just looked, looking, looking at their roster, and like I wasn't a believer in Bo Nix. I told you guys that many times. Bo Nix just wasn't it, man. He just... It was the hype train gone off the rails with Bo Nix. And he's fine. He's okay. But he's not anywhere near an elite quarterback like a lot of people pegged him as being, which is why they had him in the top 10. So again, just looking at their schedule and their offensive line, didn't like their offensive line, didn't like their running game. Defense was okay. I mean, they lost a lot of that defense. You lose Derek Brown. They didn't have the guys on the defensive line to replace him. That's why they were so good on defense the past couple years. They lost all those top guys. Big Cat Bryant, everyone was high on him. Big Cat Bryant is garbage. Big Cat Bryant had never done anything in his life up to that point other than being rated as a borderline five-star. He hadn't done anything in college and he really didn't, didn't do anything last year either. So I just wasn't a believer in them for a variety of reasons, especially the fact that their quarterback was vastly overrated. And this is just what they are under Gus Malzahn or what they were under Gus Gus Malzahn. All right. Well, last year's national champions, LSU, ended up going five and five. Mm -hmm. You had them going six and four in the preseason. Mm -hmm. I had them going seven and three. So obviously I got that one wrong. Mm -hmm. You were correct. I was close enough to be correct. Close enough Within to be correct. Now, honestly, LSU, like, there was a point in the season early in the year where it's like, this team is going to win like three games. And I was like, so off. It was ugly. It was ugly. But they did kind of turn things around. The, the win against Florida was like, where did that come from? Well, that was because somebody threw a shoe. Yes. And they got, yeah, which was, oh my God, what a, what a glorious thing. I will. That all, like saying that just brings a smile to my face. I love it. Uh, probably for the rest of my life, it'll bring a smile to my face. But, you know, they also beat Ole Miss late in the season in a torrential downpour in Baton Rouge after Ole Miss's top, all their, all their top offensive players other than their court, other than Matt Corral, the quarterback had opted out. So, and they also almost lost that game. So yeah, but they, Hey, they went five and five. Good for them. Um, so I, I, I went, I had them at six and four. I almost, I probably, I had no business getting even within one game of this, but somehow I ended up getting within one game. But yeah, like I wasn't as high on, I mean, I think they were like number, I think they were top six, number six in the preseason, maybe in the AP poll. And I looked at that and I was like, y'all are certifiably insane. The people who had LSU and Auburn in the top 10, crazy people. What 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 are we talking about? Those like, What did we see in those two teams other than the fact that LSU had won the national title the year before? But all you do is look at what they lost. Look at what they lost. They had nobody coming back. There was no way. And not only that, defensively, they lost your defensive coordinator, lose your offense coordinator, whether it's coaching staff, players, everyone was gone. And it's really, is Coach O really that good of a coach? Or did he just happen to put together a really good team that one year, get some guys coming in, a coach coming in, a transfer, a quarterback, and it all worked out, and it was a glorious year for them. I think Coach O is an okay coach, a good recruiter, but I don't know if he's going to be able to consistently build a program like that. So I just I didn't see it coming to the year. I had him at 6-4, and four, which was even that was even a little bit more aggressive than I probably should have been. All right, only three teams left. Ole Miss went 4-5. and five. You mm-hmm. got this one wrong. You mm-hmm. had them going two and eight. I had them going three and seven. So that's a check for me within one game. Thumbs up. You know the lane train. Lane train. It's got some good motivation. But you had skills. them losing to Vanderbilt. Like what? I don't know. You could have nailed this. You could have nailed it if you had them. If you had them to beat Vanderbilt, you would have nailed that one. Yeah, well, perfectly. Then you couldn't scream at me about it. I'm not screaming. In the postseason. I'm not screaming. Very animated. I'm, I, I, that was the thank you. Sorry. I was going to use that word. I was very animated. I love this stuff. I'm passionate wow. about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's what happens when you love yeah. something. You don't know what that's like. Do you? Are you passionate about anything? Oh, gosh. I, or is that just not in your I DNA? Mean, hey, we're we're all just here at this point. Wow. <laughs> that's dark. <laughs> okay. Do you need to take some time off from the show? I mean, it's been almost. Do you need to go year. on a sabbatical? It's been almost a year. You, know, you, I mean, just trying to get don't my, take get this the, the wrong way. And get my vaccine. Don't take this the wrong way. I mean this with all the love in the world. You look rough. Oh, apparently I looked so rough in a meeting yesterday at work on Zoom that people were texting me with crying laughing emojis because apparently my face after I asked a question was not suitable for the Zoom meeting. <laughs> Well, your hair right now looks like it's straight out of the 1860s. Oh, thanks. Like it has never been styled a day in its life. And I, again, I say this with all the love in the world. I don't, like, what's, what's going on? I came Are you here okay? after I was playing with children. So I was running around outside uh-huh. playing Foursquare. What a game. What a game. There are way too many ways to play Foursquare nowadays. I need, like. No, there's, like, four ways to play. Kids just make up like random things. A 
quarterback wristband with like what each thing means. They were like story time and mailbox, bus stop. Oh no, mailbox is a real and, thing. And Pac-Man. You go put your foot in the middle. Yeah, no, we played one. Pac-Man, you go around the edges. Yeah, when I was a have kid, you never played four at square? elementary school? You just played one bounce. I don't even have kids. And I know, and you don't either. But I know way. How do I know way more about four square than you? I guess you're cooler than me. I we never just played one bounce. I never really played four square. I just I've seen and like people tree play tops. It. That's just why. Why are you throwing the ball? Yeah. If you're yeah. playing with people your own age, most likely they can catch it. Yes, people have no idea what we're talking about right now. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Please. Tweet us and let us know all the different ways you can play Foursquare. Those it, of you who have I'm kids. sure some of you know more than what I've just said. Yes. This is what the pandemic does to you. Anyways, so I got Ole Miss closer than you did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you did. Anything you want to add about that? Um, I was wrong. This is like the low. I was wrong. I had them two and eight. Um, Bottom. I just was, I wasn't sure. This was more about their defense. Defensively, they were going to be a train wreck, which they were. It was literally like the worst defense in the past 15 years in the SEC, if you, if you go and look at the numbers, horrifically bad. And I didn't expect them to be that bad, but I expected them to be really bad. I just didn't think their offense was going to be as good as it was, like good enough to compensate for how bad their defense was going to be in year one under Lane Kiffin. I wasn't sure what they were going to do at quarterback. Was it going to be Matt Corral? Was it going to be John Rice Plumley? We didn't know. I figured it'd probably be Matt Corral, and I didn't know how I felt about that. Matt Corral had a good year for the most part. He had a couple games where he was an interception machine, but most of the year, he did some really good things with Elijah Moore, Kenny Yaboa at, at uh, tight end. I just didn't know they were going to be as high-powered as they were in year one offensively under Lane Kiffin. And I got that one wrong. All right. Two teams left. Mississippi State went mm-hmm. three and seven. You had them going four and six, which was more generous than me. Mm-hmm. I had them going two and eight. So we so both got this right just in within a game, we different directions. Right, yeah. yeah. Which good for them. Um, I mean, they went three and seven. Are we really saying good for them? Well, I mean, it's better than I thought they would do. I thought I was being generous with two wins. You're a Mike Leach guy or gal. Like, yeah, you had them going... but I still didn't mm, interesting. think they would do great. Yeah, my, I mean, four and six, I didn't think it was like being aggressive there, but I, I just had a little bit more belief in KJ Costello coming to the year based off of what he had done previously at Stanford. He just had a really tough time adjusting to the air raid. He had, but it's weird. He had that first game like against LSU, right? When they, they go into Baton Rouge and win that game. Everyone's talking about KJ Costello as a Heisman Trophy winner. Mike Leach is literally coming out in an actual bandwagon in a, in a, in a YouTube video or a Twitter video. And uh, then it all went downhill from there. And KJ Costello, that people, teams finally decided, oh, yeah, we're not going to play them, man. We're going to drop eight. And he couldn't adjust to that. And it was a nightmare season for him and for them for most of the year. But yeah, I got it within one game. One team left. I'm glad we were both wrong about this team. That is Arkansas. We both had them going 0 and 10 on the season. Mm-hmm. However, they were able to pull out three wins and ended up going three and seven. The pit boss. Yeah, I. I mean, I was just off on this. I was not a believer in Felipe Franks. I told you guys I've never really been a believer in Felipe Franks. He's a really talented player. We've always said that, but he was just he just makes some disastrous decisions. Him and Jared Guarantano have that just catastrophic destructive gene in them. And he didn't do that as much this year. He really kind of leveled out, um, played really well for the most part. They were better defensively than I thought they would be at a pretty strong running game for most of the year. And I was completely wrong here. I, um, I missed this. I, and I wasn't sure what to think of Sam Pittman as a head coach. But I gotta give the good man, gotta give the man credit. Really did a great job. And I know when you say, when you only win three games, it's hard to say the guy did a great job. But when you're talking about Arkansas, who hadn't won an SEC game like a year and a half, winning three SEC games is a good job. Did a good job. So yeah, just completely off on this one. Didn't believe in Felipe Franks. Wasn't sure about Sam Pittman, and was wrong on both accounts. All right, so that ends up with both of us getting nine of fourteen team records correct within one game, which has our percentage at sixty four percent. However, you... So we got more right than we got wrong, yeah, right? You, That's what it's about. More right than you get wrong. You nailed three records exactly. Let's go. I only got one. So who I did I nail exactly? I got... You win. I got Alabama. Who else did I get exactly? Vandy and Auburn, right? And you got Auburn exactly. Yep. All right. So not bad. Like, not perfect. But, like, for preseason predictions, especially in a COVID year when you have no idea what's going to go on, people opting out, like, not, not terrible, right? Yeah. I mean, not bad. Not bad. I'll take it. I'll take it. All right. So next up, we're going to go off. We're going to go away from the records and just talk about some of the things that we're going to, we're going to point and laugh at me. Okay. We're going to have some fun just making fun of me, mocking me. 
And we're gonna look at some of the things that I said in the preseason, like all, because you guys know all summer long, we got nothing to talk about, no games going on, so we're just talking about what we think is gonna happen in the season. So I had a chance to say a lot of different things. I got some of those things wrong, I got some of them right, and we're gonna look at those here for this next segment. So Charlie, what do we got? Well, this first one is quite funny. You had George Pickens setting the UGA single season receiving yards record, surpassing Terrence Edwards Mm -hmm. with Uh 1,004 receiving Uh yards in 2002. Uh And George Pickens was only able to do about half of that. Right, right. And Pickens had Mm -hmm. 513 yards on the season. Yeah. Barely missed it. So close. So close. Okay, couple of things here. All right, yes. I own it. I missed this one by a relatively wide margin, right? About, as you said, almost, he had about half as many yards as I predicted him to have. I had him going over a thousand yards. Yes, I did. I have to own that. But there's some context here. He did miss two games, right? He missed a game against Kentucky, missed the game against Florida. Also had Dwan Mathis and Stetson Bennett throwing to him for the first, what, six games, whatever it was. That's not great. That's a problem. When JT Daniels gets in the lineup, what happens? His last two games, he goes for over 120 yards each game. If JT Daniels is healthy all year long, which I was hoping might be the case when I made that, those predictions over the summer, or actually at that time, I'm thinking that Jamie Newman, at that time over the summer when I'm saying these things, I thought Jamie Newman, as far as I knew, was going to still be our quarterback. I mean, it wasn't Jamie Newman, it was going to be JT Daniels. I will stand by this. Look at those last two games. Over 100 yards both games, right? 120 yards both games. If J.D. Daniels or Jamie Newman's our quarterback all year, then yes, I say that he still could have done it. But it didn't happen. I get it. But when you have Stetson Bennett running the show and Dewan Mathis out there doing God knows what, I mean, he's got no chance. So as soon as the season had started, as soon as we realized that J.T. Daniels wasn't going to play, I could have revised this and said, oh, yeah, it's not going to happen. But I guess you can't do that in this line of business. So I got that one wrong. But there's context there. Come on. Maybe next year. There's context there. Oh, yeah, maybe. Next up, Jermaine Burton would be UGA's second leading wide receiver. No, he was the third. He wasn't far off, though. Kyrus Jackson had 514 yards. Pickens had 513. Burton had 404. So, I'm sorry. I thought that was a five. Uh, Yeah, he was 100 yards off. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. 110 um, yards off from Okay, but then I was taking a flyer on this. This is a guy that was coming out of high school who had never played the college level. I was, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, 100 yards off is not for with a guy that's never played a snap in college, that's not that far off. That's not that far off. Yeah. And he had a game where he almost broke the single game receiving yards record, right? Against Mississippi State, he almost broke that there. So I got that wrong, yes. So we just start with all the things I got wrong. Is that what we're doing? Yeah, that's what you said. Is that what I said? I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. So we're on the same page here. Yeah, I got that wrong. But like, and maybe I underestimated Kyrus Jackson. That's what I really got wrong. I don't think, I think I was close. On, I think Burton did close to what I thought he would do. I was wrong on Kyrus Jackson. I didn't think Kyrus Jackson would. I mean, he was through the first three games averaging 100 yards receiving a game. I mean, he was our leading receiver. I mean, he ended up being our leading receiver by one yard. But he was head and shoulders away our leading receiver for the first couple games of the year. And I did not necessarily anticipate that from him. So, Tip of the cap to Karis Jackson. Really glad that he was able to be as productive as he was. But I don't think I was like that far off on Jermaine Burton. I mean, I know 100 yards, but this guy well, was a true freshman. That's not that bad. I, I did say he was going to start, the didn't next I? next one is um, more entertaining, though. Shut up. I mean, let me be nice. Ready I'm sorry. This one? Please refrain from saying these mean things. Yeah, no. All right, you had Georgia finishing mm-hmm. in the top 20 for offense in 2020. Yeah, no. We finished 41st in total offense with 424 yards per game. Are you one of those people that just ignores context just so you can make fun of other people? I'm just giving the... Did I have any clue that Stetson Bennett was going to be our starting... This guy was a former... Did I have any clue that was going to happen? I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this is what you said. Well, you just said this is really embarrassing. I'm not even... I'm not embarrassed. I stand by this. because we all know what happened. We know that... Yeah. We had a quarterback. I mean, I, granted, I mean, I was. We didn't I was know it was yeah. going to be quarterback. Yep, yep, yep. And was not as. So you, when that happens, all your predictions about the offense would go out the window. Yeah, so it's still entertaining. It is entertaining because that was about yeah. When we averaged four and twenty-four yards a game, forty-first nationally, I said top. And this, I will also. I, this was in response to one of those bowl predictions, right? Somebody said that Georgia. One of their bowl predictions was that Georgia would finish with a top twenty offense nationally, and I answered yes. I agree with this bold prediction. I was wrong. But again, at that time, I thought Jamie Newman and or J.D. Daniels would be our starting quarterback. I had no 
idea that the guy that I thought was like fifth string coming this season, Stetson Bennett, would end up being our starting quarterback for the majority of the year. I had no idea that that was going to happen. If I would have known that Stetson Bennett was going to be our starting quarterback, I certainly would not have said that we would have finished inside the top 20. In fact, I think we did pretty good considering we had Stetson starting for most of the year. And here I am kind of just hating on, I'm not trying to hate on Stetson. He did such a good job for us. He got everything he could out of that body and what he has to work with. And I appreciate everything everything the guy did. But I mean, if I would have known he was going to be the starter, yeah, I would not have made that prediction. I don't think that bowl prediction would have been sent in if we would have known that. So yeah, I mean, I got it wrong, but I think it one's kind of like understandable. All right. The next one's not as bad. You said that Georgia's defense would finish inside the top 10 in 2020. Mm -hmm. They weren't far off. They finished number 12 with 321 yards per game. I will actually defend myself on this one. Yes. In total defense, they fit. We finished number 12 nationally, just outside the top 10. And yards per play allowed defensively, which I always go by as a much more accurate indicator of how good your defense actually is. Because, I mean, yards per play takes out like the tempo deal out of the equation. Like how fast teams go, how many plays they run. Because like if you play teams that just are going to run a lot more plays than other teams, then yeah, you're going to give it more yards because they're running more plays. It's all about how many yards per play are you giving up. And we were top 10. I think we were actually number 10 nationally yards per play allowed. So that's got to be thrown in there. We also faced two of the top 10 offenses in America. We placed, you know, against Alabama and Florida. That doesn't help. And in one of those games against Florida, we were the walking wounded defensively. Think about how many people we lost on defense in that Kentucky game. I mean, I left the Kentucky game and said, well, season's over. We've got no chance to win now because we have nobody on defense. I didn't know that Richard LeCount was going to miss half the season. I didn't know that Jordan Davis was going to miss a bunch of games with injury. Had a lot of guys at Monty Rice dealing with a foot injury all year. Didn't know those things were going to happen, but even with that, I think this this prediction stands up pretty good. We weren't maybe quite as dominant as I thought we could be defensively. I think once whenever I was healthy, I think we were pretty good. Now Alabama did carve us up, but they did that to everybody. But I think this pick stands or this prediction stands up fairly well, all things considered. You can factor in injuries, and then we played two of the top ten offenses in America. So I'm uh, I'm not embarrassed by that one. All right. And the last one that we get to make fun of you for, Mm -hmm. you had Kentucky beating Auburn in week one. Didn't you also have that? Um, Let's look at the list. Let's look at our helmet schedules here. This is why I keep keep the receipts, baby. This is mine, Kentucky. Uh, Yes. Oh, I did have Kentucky winning. Oh, so we both. You can laugh at me too, but that's a regular thing. It kind of is. Yeah, look, okay, I stand by this 100%. I will say this, Kentucky beat Auburn in week one. Kentucky got screwed by multiple terrible calls. Benny, not Benny Snell, Chris Rodriguez, little Benny, his body in the first half was laying, his entire upper body, waist up, was laying over the goal line, and they said it wasn't a touchdown. Oh, I remember yes. that. Yes, and yeah. then the next play, what? Or I think two plays later, on the one-inch line, what happens? Oh, Terry Wilson throws uh, what got, uh, interception that got run back for a touchdown. They called it back as a block in the back, but it goes from being seven points to being zero points, and that was right before the half, and it killed them. And then there was another, I think there was a play that was a, they called a fumble, I want to say, but it wasn't really a fumble, and there was a play where Terry Wilson just kind of completely just dropped the ball. Kentucky, I think, honestly, I think Kentucky beat Auburn. There are multiple teams that beat Auburn. Arkansas beat Auburn. Arkansas definitely beat Auburn. The officials, I mean, Auburn got the six wins by the grace of God. I mean, the officiating gods were out there watching over Auburn. So no Kentucky on the scoreboard didn't beat them, but I stand by that. Kentucky, I, I think Kentucky had them beat in week one. I think they did, but whatever. Officials suck. All right, let's move on to the things you got Thank right. you. Thank God. You said that Georgia would have under 45 sacks. Yep. They actually finished with 32. Yeah, I mean, and, and this was, again, this is one of those, thank you, this is one of those bold predictions somebody threw in, which those things are supposed to be outlandish by nature. I get that. So I'm not going to hold anybody responsible for that. But I was like, no, that's not going to happen. And my rationale was, it's just not what our defense is built to do. We talked about this a lot on the show. Our defense is built to stop the run first. We really try to hold teams down on first and second down, the standard downs, stop the run, get them to third long. And then we get our pass rushers on the field. We get our dying package on the field. We do some more exotic things with our simulated pressures, all those things. But on a regular basis on standard downs, we just don't really try to pin our ears back and rush the passer. So we're just, I, there's no way that we're going to finish with 45 seconds. I think Clemson was tops in the country in sacks this year with 46. There was no way we were going to get to that. So yeah, I mean, that was an easy one for me. I felt like that one was going to, that was a given. Like We weren't going to get to that number. All right. You also said Jermaine Burton on offense and Jalen Carter on defense would be the first freshman to start a game in 2020. I did. So I, I, I maybe it was a little too high on Jermaine Burton, said he'd be our second leading receiver, but I did nail that he would be a starter for us at receiver. And partly that was because like, look at who we had coming back. Like we had George, we had Kiaris, but 
who else was this guy contending with? And I was really high on Burton coming out of high school. I thought he was a really polished route runner, very polished receiver. Now he, there was some there's a learning curve there in terms of like running the play, learning the plays, and and um, being able to read the defenses and read what the quarterback's reading, making side adjustments, those kind of things. He he certainly was lost at times. But he also made a lot of really good big plays for us. I mean, really certainly helped us beat Mississippi State. Almost broke the single-game receiving record in that game against Mississippi State. I thought he was going to do it, but just fell a little bit short. But yeah, I thought he was going to start. I felt good about that one. And Jalen Carter, I I didn't think he would start right away, but I felt he would play a lot right away and might eventually work himself into a starting role. He did that. Now, he played right away. Him working himself into a starting role had more to do with injuries with like Devontae Wyatt going down. Remember that Florida game? We had like Devontae Wyatt is out. Jordan Davis is out. We had just a bunch of guys that hadn't really hardly played. He started that game. So that was kind of a function of injury. But still, yeah, I think I got, got this one right. I said those, I said Burton on offense and Carter on defense would be the, the first two guys to start as freshmen last year. And fortunately, got that one right. All right. You said Zamir White would lead Georgia in rushing, which was correct. He actually led UGA in rushing by more than 500 yards with 779 yards. Yeah, this one I felt good about too. I mean, I, I there was a point during the offseason where, where I just posed the question like, huh, could could James Cook possibly be a better fit for Todd Munkin's offense than Zamir White? But if you just look at what how we'd use James Cook to this point, it just didn't really scream that he was going to be the feature back. Zamir White was kind of the heir apparent there. And so I felt pretty good saying that he was going to be the leading rusher and um, it worked out that way. All right. You said UGA would not have a 1,000-yard rusher. Yeah, and this one I kind of – I don't want to say I took a little bit – a lot of heat on, but some people were like, dude, we, we always have a 1,000-yard rusher. We have too many running backs to have one running back running for 1,000 yards. That was part of my, my thought process, but we've also had a lot of running backs in years past, right, whether it's Elijah Holyfield and DeAndre Swift and Brian Harrigan back there. But to me, it was partly that, as you just said, but also part of that it's a 10-game season. We don't have 12 games. We don't, we're not playing Little Sisters of the Poor. We're not playing the baby seals like Austin P that we get to beat up on. So yeah. are we going to put up those massive numbers? I don't know. And like, and as good as I think Zamir White is, I just didn't know if he was a – I didn't think he was a Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, DeAndre Swift caliber running back, at least not this year. Hopefully he can become that, but he wasn't that this year. So that combined with the shortened season, combined with the fact that we have a lot of guys who are going to get touches, I just didn't see 1,000 yards, and he didn't really come close. Right. The next two are pretty general. You said Tennessee's offensive line was overrated. Yeah, we kind of touched on that. I, I, I mean, yeah, I don't want to pat myself on the back too much, too often about this. But yes, I mean, I told you guys, how I many, I don't know how I many, I was all in this. I, I have to say, I, of, of all the things I got right, I might have nailed This is the thing I might have went counter to like the prevailing national thought more than anything else. Because the narrative out there nationally was, Tennessee's offensive line is awesome. They're incredible. All these five stars are going to just gash people. Tennessee's back. And I said, like, no, they're not. Their offensive line is not good. Have you actually watched them play? Because everyone who was talking about how good Tennessee's offensive line was, it was all based on recruiting rankings. If you actually watched those guys play at the college level, they weren't good. They were not even not good. They were straight up hot garbage, dumpster fire level stuff. And that proved to be right. And I don't like, I mean, again, if you just watch them play, I think a lot of, you could have, I mean, people who actually watch football realize they weren't that good, right? I think they have to. Yeah. Yeah. All right, another general statement. Bo Nix is overrated. Yeah, we talked about this earlier too, and I, I wasn't the only one saying this, but Bo, like, he's one of those guys that was he was like I said, hype train. His dad played at Auburn. He was a highly rated recruit. He comes in, starts as a freshman. It was really he had that. He played terrible against Oregon in, in his first game as a freshman in 2019, but he had that game-winning drive, ended up beating Oregon somehow on that opening game, and so then the Bo le- the Bo Nix legend is unleashed, and it's just a runaway freight train. But again, watch the guy play. Not good. Okay, average, but not anywhere near the quarterback people were making him out to be. All right, one more. This one's a little more specific. Mm -hmm. Georgia would finish with a top three recruiting class for the fifth year in a row, but would not be the number one class. Yeah, and so we're recording this signing day night, I guess, and Curtis and I will be back next week with a signing day recap. He had some law school stuff to take care of. He wanted to be on that show, so we're going to push that back just a couple of days to early next week. But yeah, so it looks like right now in the 247 composite, we are going to finish right at number three, which is kind of where I thought we would finish. I thought we had a shot at number two, potentially, if we landed some of the big names out there. So, and we did land a couple of the big names. We just didn't land enough of them. But I figured, I said we'd be top three, but it would not be enough to be the number one class in Alabama, which is this class might be the best, like numbers-wise, might be the best recruiting class ever, even surpassing our 2018 class. 
So yeah, uh, looks like we're gonna finish top three, and it's kind of where I thought we'd be. Because we're gonna we're gonna take a smaller class this year. We're, I think we're only gonna end up with twenty guys in this class. We're gonna hit, try to hit the transfer portal. So we just didn't have the numbers to be really any higher than number three. I thought maybe an outside shot number two, but even that was a little bit aggressive. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Yeah, that's Is that all. it? That's the only things I got right? That's all. All right. So uh, as promised, got a little tennis talk. Charlie, you want to talk some tennis? Oh, we're going to talk tennis? Yeah, a little bit. Oh. I, I, so this is the point, guys. I know, again, a lot of you aren't necessarily into tennis. I understand. So we've given you about 45 minutes of football talk here in the off season, um, And uh, we're going to talk a little bit of tennis. So if you don't like it, if you're not into it, cool. Absolutely. We'll see you guys next week. I get it. I understand. But I'd love for you guys to give it a shot because I, I really want to try to help support our tennis program. I want to grow the tennis fan base because these programs are awesome. I'm telling you, it's so much fun. I did not grow up on tennis. Charlie didn't grow up on tennis, but I have grown to love tennis. I love this sport and I love our programs. They're so good. We have two, we have awesome coaches. We have awesome players on our team. They're great guys, great girls. And uh, it's a lot of fun. It's really something that you can watch during the offseason, the football offseason, and kind of keep you entertained and uh, really just cheer on some really, really strong Georgia program. So, uh, Charlie, we're going to start with the women, all right, because they played number one North Carolina. The men had a big match, too, but we welcome number one North Carolina into the damn, well, the Lindsey Hopkins indoor tennis courts, <laughs> which I'm, you're like rolling your eyes at this right now. But this is a rematch of the 2019 National Indoor Championship match that we won in the third set. It was 3-3. The last, the last match on court one, Katarina Jokic went to a tie break in the third set, and in, she ended up winning that one in a thriller, and we won the national indoor title in 2019. The first time we played them since then. A lot of the same players on our team are still here. A lot of the same players on their team. They come into Athens, and we push them to their... It mirrored that 2019 matchup so closely. Again, goes into the final match, third set tiebreak. This time instead of court one, it was court five. Elena Christofi, senior, came back. She was down She was down 2-5 in the third set. Battled back like a beast, Pushed it to a tie break. I thought she had the tie break, but she just barely ran out of steam. But what a great effort by our ladies. They were right there. What was your big takeaway from that heartbreaking loss? Our doubles teams were really good. And we, we beat, like I said, we, we got won we, the doubles point. And that was only the third time in the last 23 matches that North Carolina's ladies had lost a doubles point. That's big. I thought we had it. I thought, honestly, when we won the doubles point, I was like, we got this. Let's go. But it didn't work out that way. No, we so, so what happened? What happened there? We won the doubles point, but we end up losing four of six singles well, p- Kat, matches. Katarina Jokic on court one. She won in a third set. She beat the number two singles player in the country. Yeah, she yes. did great. She beat Alexa and... Graham. And she, and she was clearly better than Alexa Graham. Yes. Like, just not even... Like, I don't say not close, but she was clearly the better player. She Her serve was looked on. good. Yeah. She was doing well. Sometimes she, was she on. gets a little defeated when she yeah. doesn't serve well. Meg Kowalski won, oh my God. played court three and beat the number six ranked singles player. And Meg was ranked number 60, I believe, coming yeah, in the seat. Yeah, and she, did she win in two sets? She won in straight sets. Yeah. She won in straight Good sets. Good for her. I can't remember. It's so, and can I say something about Meg real fast? I think I tweeted this out. Charlie, you know this. Yeah. I love Meg Kowalski. We all heard you. I love Meg Kowalski. Oh, I was, I was, I was like so, I was screaming for Meg at that match. So I, I was so pumped for her. guys. Meg Kowalski, her first two years uh, on campus was our court six singles player, and basically never lost down there. Never in the, in the national national tournament down there in, in Orlando, Lake Nona in 2019. 18. 18. I'm sorry, 2018. The girl threw up twice in that match and still found a way to fight through. I guess it was the quarterfinals match. Found a way to fight through and still won that match. She is just a fighter. She was it did. 2019? It was 
It was 2019, yes. I don't remember. It's a blur. It was but 2019. Yeah, she threw up. She's great. She's has a little, she's a little ball of energy. She is just a fighter. She does not give up. And like, is she the most talented player out there? No, she's not. But she's really good, regardless. And she just fights and grinds. She will like she might not win every match, but she will leave you battered and bruised to steal a line from I think it's the new um the Lions coach, I wanna say. She might she might not win every match, but she will bite your kneecaps off while she loses. She is not gonna go down easily. And she has fought her way up. She was playing court three singles, she used to play court six, and she dominated the number six player in the country. Like just I don't want to say wipe her out, but she was just on fire. I love her. She is literally my favorite Georgia, my currently my favorite Georgia athlete of all the sports right now. I love a lot of our athletes. Meg is so much fun to watch. She's got the heart of a champion. Love her to death. Yeah, I was shocked that we lost so quickly on court two, which was Leah Ma. However, she was not here this fall yeah. practicing with the team. Yeah. She was in Florida training. She was also playing the number four player in the country. Yeah. So good competition, but it was a quick two sets. And she done. got wiped out. Yeah. Like second set was six though. It was like six two six. Played really hard. She just didn't have enough energy there at the end. Megan Kopic also lost pretty quickly, Morgan. which or Morgan. Yeah. I I was shocked. On court four, yeah. How so? I think let me ask you this: If so, Mar, if you guys don't know, Mar Gonzalez is our. She's been around for. She's a senior, fifth year senior. She's played court two, played court three, fours. She was. She didn't play again. I don't exactly know why. Maybe some sort of injury. She did not play again. And Ariana didn't play. Either. So in our in our freshman, who's a really good player, Ariana Arsenault. She is um, a really good doubles player, a good singles player as well. We saw her during this uh, during the fall season, and she looked really good. Neither one of those girls played. If they didn't play the weekend before, either. right? If if let's just even say if Marta plays, do we win that match? Maybe because if Marta plays, let's say Marta plays court three, that, that puts Meg on court four. She wins court four. That puts Morgan on court five. And a better chance to win there is Morgan right now. I think is a better singles player than Elena. And you put Elena on court six, and on your hurdle doesn't play. Anya's going to be a really good player, but she's I, a really good doubles. Player. She's a great. It has a great sort of great doubles player. But I think Ellen on court six is going to win a lot of matches. I think, I mean, you never know. I think we had a much better chance to win that. So we were not fully healthy in that match. And we still push into a third set tie break in the deciding match. I came away feeling really good about this team. Are they still a contender in your eye for the national championship? Absolutely. 100%. I'm totally with you. So I know we lost, but what an effort. And uh, I feel really good about this team. It's going to be a fun season. And real quickly here, talk about the men for a few minutes. The men also against NC State, top 15 matchup. Also went to a third set um, not a third set tiebreak in the final match, but a third set. And Billy Rowe, the grad transfer from Vanderbilt, came through. This is exactly why we brought this guy in to win matches like this on court six, on the, on the lower courts, to give us some, some veteran stability down there, which we didn't really have last year. And uh, he did exactly what he was supposed to do. Just an awesome performance there. What impressed you most about what you saw from the men this weekend? Um, Trent Bride did really well. Beat the number six singles player in the country. Yeah, the guy he was or number playing seven, I want to say. just a little obnoxious. Oh, that, However, a little he was obnoxious? being egged on by our fans. But he was he was talking trash he was, to, it, to Trent. Just and kudos for Trent for being able to block it all. Trent out was more mentally tough play. than that guy. Tyler Zink really impressed me. Um, Agree on court three. Yeah, yeah. He, first he, set. He, he was, just wants to be left alone. He just wants to be able to play. Like he wants everyone dude. to yeah. ignore him. He doesn't need any praise. He really bounced back after the first. Set. He wasn't. He wasn't on the first set, but the second, third set, his serve, his forehand, he was on fire. He calmed down. And he looked really good. Yeah, I think he was feeling the nerves in the first set. I think he looked really good. So that I, I thought. I think Tyler Zink really impressed me. I agree with you. I thought Trent was fantastic. I mean, Trent was. He was number nine coming in. Trent played extraordinarily well. Mental toughness, hit some incredible shots. The guy he was playing was really good. And he was able to bounce back and win that in a, in a third set. Um, Philip so, played really hard, but he... Yeah, he, 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 he was lost. so much better than that guy he was playing. He just wasn't on. He just yeah. missed too many too many unforced errors in that game. But you know, on court two, Philip Henning, going to be really good. So a lot of things that, that were impressive there. But any concerns you still might have about this Georgia men's tennis team? Anything that's like, oh. I have to think. It was a few days ago. I can't really remember. Oh, and by the way, Blake Croyder just dominates. Blake Croyder just oh, wins. Yeah, All he, he does is like, win. He was done in like an hour. All he does is win on court four. Yeah. In, in, in an interesting, entertaining fashion also. Always. It's just a character. Such a character, dude. Yeah, he's fun to watch. Um, I feel. I will say this team, I feel better about them on the ah, lower courts. Baptiste didn't play as well as I thought he would have. I think the guy Baptiste was playing was a freshman. He was really good. That big tall dude. He was a freshman? The dude was a freshman. 
Hmm. And his serve like was, and he was about seven three. That guy, yeah, I would he say, was, he seven looked, three, seven four at least minimum. He looked very tall. Guy had like the, I don't know. I'm not gonna rip him. Very tall. Let's just but say that. But I was that. impressed with Baptiste a few weeks ago. Baptiste's serve, he's really improved. Um, yeah. So I look forward to watching him and Tyler Zink. Maybe doubles is a concern. I, I mean, I think we're good in doubles. I. But we lost a doubles point there. I think I really like our, our court three team right now. It looks like it's Philip Henning and Eric Gavillius. I think doubles can just go either way. It can. So it, it, it really With can. Teams yeah. that are that good, it's just, yeah. I think we're in really good shape. I think we're in much better shape on the lower courts, four, five, and six, than we were last year because that's what hurt us last year. Well, us, on court four, we were great, right? Because Blake Corder was awesome. Five and six last year were a problem for us. I think Billy Rowe gives us, us some stability there. We'll see what, what Baptiste can do. Maybe I'm still concerned with court five, but I like where we are right now. And it's going to be a fun season for the men and women. So if you've never been out, we're, we're going to start the outdoor season here in a couple of weeks. Um, I don't know what the tennis policy is. We'll keep you guys up to date with that. But if you get a chance, if you're tired of being cooped up in your house, you want to have something to do with the family, take the kids out and do something, come to Athens and watch a tennis match. If you've never done it, I'm telling you, it's free, it's fun, it's awesome. Come cheer on these teams. They're awesome. You won't regret it, guys. So just uh, give it a shot. Think about it if you, if you haven't ever. Um, there was once one time Charlie and I had never gone to tennis matches, and I just went one time, and I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, pretty awesome. Yeah, the men are playing Georgia Tech this Friday, Friday at 2.30. So follow Manny Diaz on Twitter, and you can or click Jamie on Hunt. the link to follow along live. Yep. With the match. Yep. Are the girls playing this weekend? They're playing Florida State. Florida State was number. They were in the That's top right. ten. Okay. Uh, I think it's Sunday at eleven. It's early, but yeah. But it's indoors. I don't know how many people are allowed to come. But all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. Curtis and I will be back next week. First thing next week to recap all the signing day news. There wasn't a ton of news because our class was pretty much done after the early signing period. But we'll break all the signing day action down. We'll also really go back to the early signing period and take a closer look at all the prospects that we signed in that period because that's really where we did all of our heavy lifting. So we'll have that for you guys next week. But thanks for listening today, guys. Had fun talking about what we got wrong. A lot of things we got wrong. We also got a fair share of things right as well. So that's fun to kind of just go back and, and look at what we had said in the preseason. So thanks for uh, sticking with us today. For Charlie, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.